Pencil and paper, and after I solve a problem, pause the video and solve it yourself. Make sure you understand it, and then move on with me. And if you do that, then I promise you, as we move together through this, you will be very, very good at Algebra 1. You'll have a very deep understanding of it. So we're going to just jump right in here. We're going to dive in. We're going to talk about one of the most important topics in algebra, and that is the concept of a variable. So here we have the concept of a variable. You, you hear this uh, right away in algebra, and you're going to be expected to understand it. A variable is a very simple concept. It is a letter that represents a number. I'll say that one more time. It's just a letter of the alphabet, like ABC or XYZ, that represents a number. It's basically a placeholder, because we don't always know in algebra what uh, what all the answers are, and so we have letters to, to kind of be placeholders for things that we don't know. So, for example, um, you might have the variable A, a very common variable. You don't know what it is initially, so we use the letter A to, to hold, to be a placeholder. But at the end of the day, A might be equal to the, to the number 1, or A might be equal to uh, the number 3, or A might be equal to 7. You get the idea. You might go on and on and on. Basically, it can be equal to any number you can dream up. Uh, and that's why we have a letter to represent it, because we don't know what the value of it, of it is. Now, later on, we'll learn how to solve equations and things like that. And so the letter A might be what you're trying to solve for, and you figure out at the end that A is equal to 1. Uh, and that's why we use these letters to, to kind of hold numbers. But for now, just know that it's just a letter that represents a number. So as another example, we might have the variable x. It's another very common variable you see in algebra all the time. x could be equal to 0, uh, x could be equal to 1, uh, x could be equal to 2, and so on. And you can see the idea here. I'm just making numbers up. They don't have to be these specific numbers. Uh, any number at all can fit inside of this variable that we're calling x. So as another example, um, you can use any letter of the alphabet. Sometimes you might use the letter b. Uh, it just depends. Uh, B doesn't have to be a whole number. Any of these variables, they don't have to be whole numbers. So B might be 13.4, for instance. Or B might be equal to 19.6, for instance. You see the idea here. And I'll give you one final example. What if we're using the variable D? Uh, the variable D uh, doesn't have to be a whole number. It doesn't have to be a decimal. D could be the number 1 half. It's just another number. We just represent it as a fraction. Uh, D could be equal to, you know, 1,024. Uh, D could also be equal to the fraction 3 fourths. So I'm just trying to give you an, a bird's eye view of what a variable is. It's just a letter that's used to represent a number that we don't know ahead of time what that number is. And so we can use it to represent whole numbers like these, or decimals, 
or fractions. And later on in algebra, we're going to learn about imaginary numbers that can hold imaginary numbers and complex numbers and other types of numbers. But for now, just think of it as a letter that uh, is used to represent a number. So let's take this idea of a variable and let's, let's solve a couple of a quick problems. So we're just going to move up the page here. We'll move that off the page here. And we'll draw a little line, just kind of like separate our work here. And we'll talk about an actual problem that you might see. What if you see something in an algebra book? Uh, 4n uh, is equal to 12. Now this is the kind of thing you see all the time in your algebra book. First of all, you have the number 4, and then you have a letter written right next to it. When you see a letter and a number written right next to each other, it means multiplication. So normally in you know, basic math, uh, we, we say 3 times 4 uh, is equal to 12, or you know, 6 times 2 is equal to 12. And this letter x here, right here, this letter x represents multiplication. Well, we don't use this letter x to be multiplication in algebra because we're using variables. Remember, we talked about this variable up here. Uh, this variable x uh, is used quite often in algebra, so you'll get confused if you start using x for multiplication. So in algebra, what we basically do is we uh, drop the multiplication symbol. So if you see a letter and a number together, you always know they're multiplied. So this is 4 times some variable, some unknown number, is equal to 12. Now let me ask you, 4 times what can equal 12? There's only one number that works here. 4 times what equals 12? And that means that n must be equal to 3 because 4 times 3 is 12. There's no other number that works that fits in here. n, the variable n in this case, has one value, one answer, and that is the number 3. There's no other number that's going to work. So this is a, a, a simple, very, very simple relation that we have in Algebra 1. We're just kind of introducing topics, and I'm showing you how the letters can fit in with the numbers and how this letter has a certain value that's associated with it based on that equation right there. All right, so let's move on to do just some, another simple, simple guy here. What if you have, as an example, 8a is equal to 16? Now, again, when you have a letter and a number in algebra, they mean multiplication. So what this is saying is 8 times something, something, I don't know what it is, is equal to 16. 8 times what is 16? There's only one number that works there. What number is that? A must be equal to 2. That's the only number that works. Okay, so... When you take this letter A and you stick it in here, you can see that 8 times 2 is 16, and it satisfies this equal sign. This equal sign means that whatever's on the left must be equal to whatever's on the right. So 2 is the only number that works there. So these are variables. In this case, n was equal to 3. In this case, a was equal to 2. Now let's do another really quick, simple one before we close here. Uh, what if you had something a little bit more interesting? What if we had x plus 3 is equal to... 3 plus x. What would be the value of x in this case right here? Well, we look at the left and the right-hand side and say something plus 3 is equal to 3 plus something. So what's going to happen? What is the value of x that works here? It turns out, in this case, there's lots of values that work here. What if we start picking numbers here and say, well, what if x is equal to 2? What's going to happen to this guy? Well, 2 plus 3, 2 plus 3 is going to give you 5 on the left-hand side. And 3 plus 2, because remember, if the, if the variable is equal to 2, it goes in here and it goes in here. So what you're going to have, if you put in the, the number 2, is you're going to get 5 on the left and 5 on the right, which satisfies this equal, equal sign. But what if you put a different number in? x is equal to 7. Then on the left-hand side, you'll have 7 plus 3. That's going to give you 10 on the left-hand side. 
And on the right-hand side, 3 plus 7 here, 3 plus 7 on the right-hand side, you're also going to get 10. So that means that this is satisfied. So you see, no matter what value of x you put into the left, you're just adding 3 to it, and you're doing the same thing essentially on the right. So no matter what value of x you stick in here, you're always going to satisfy the equal sign. So that means that in this case, you have lots and lots of values, and in this case, x can be any number. That's pretty rare in algebra. Actually, when you have equations like this, usually there's just one value of, a, of the variable that works. In this case, 4 times 3 was 12. There's only one value that worked. 8 times 2 is 16. There's only one value of their variable that worked. But because this one was a little bit weird, you're just adding 3 on both sides of the equal sign to whatever value that you have. Any number for x can work. So this is just an introductory topic of what is a variable. We're going to solve a lot of additional topics. A variable is very simply just a letter that represents a number. A variable is just a placeholder. That's all it is. It's all I'm trying to really get you to understand in this section. So follow me on to the next lesson. We'll get some more topics with variables. We'll get some more practice with variables in Algebra 1. If we had something that looked like six and a half, the fraction six and a half minus the variable y is equal to three times. Two. Now remember, here in algebra, we do multiplication. Uh, we can write it several ways. One of the ways we do it is with a dot. That means 3 times 2 on the right-hand side. So we have 6 and a half minus some number. We don't know what it is, so we call it y, is equal to 3 times 2. So how do you solve something like this? Well, first we just kind of simplify it a little bit. We say, all right, this is 6 and a half right here minus some unknown variable y, it's a placeholder, and on the right-hand side, what is this 3 times 2 equal, right? Well, that's going to equal 6. So what you really have is you have 6 and a half minus some number is equal to 6, and there's only one number in here that's going to work. If you take 6 and a half pencils and subtract something from it, the only way you can get 6 is if y is equal to 1 half. Make sure you understand that. So you stick y in here, 6 and a half minus a half, is going to equal 6. So this is the only value of the variable y that's going to work. So we'll put a little bracket around it. That's going to be our final answer. All right. Now what if we have something uh, like a, the variable a, times the variable a? Because you can take variables and multiply it by itself, no problem. And that's going to equal on the right-hand side 2 times a. What is going to work here? Right, so some of these things, like, like this first one that we did, this was pretty easy. Six and a half minus some number. We're just trying to figure out what this is. Um, and so you can kind of look at it and you know that it's one half. This one is a little bit more difficult. Some, sometimes you look at these things and you can't really see what is the value of A such that when I put it over here, multiply it by itself, is the same thing as two times A. So my advice is if you don't...
Hello, welcome back to Algebra 1. Here we're going to learn about evaluating numerical expressions. Don't let this title uh, confuse you or scare you. It's a very simple concept, and we're going to get to it here in just a second. Um, so first, let's talk about what is a numerical expression. Okay. Expression, this word expression, you see, you're going to see it in algebra all the time. Basically, an expression is math operations. So a numerical expression is math operations that have numbers. Okay, because in later on, we're going to have math operations involving letters, variables. So this means, for instance, uh, you're, you, you have uh, uh, math operations with things like addition, subtraction, uh, multiplication, and division. Right, so those are the main math operations. And in fact, later on, we're going to talk about exponents and square roots and all kinds of other things. So those can all be a part of expressions as well. But for now, numerical expressions just means adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing numbers essentially is all it means when you have a numerical expression. Later on, we'll talk about algebraic expressions when you're doing all of these things to variables, letters. So it's, it's a real simple concept. You've been doing this since third grade. But one thing I want to caution you, and I've mentioned a couple of times, uh, I use the letter X here for multiplication to show you that we can multiply in expressions, but we never write the letter X for multiplication to, to intend to, to show multiplication in algebra because it gets confusing. We use the variable X all of the time. So, for instance, in basic math, you might say 3 times 4, right? This means 3 times 4 is equal to 12, obviously. But you see, the X here in algebra is going to look like a variable. It looks like 3 times X times 4. So we, we never use this X to mean multiplication. Instead, in algebra, we, and I've done this several times, we put 3 and then a dot here uh, with a 4. That means 3 times 4. Or you could write it as 3 parentheses, 4 parentheses. And that is going to also mean, um, that is going to also mean uh, uh, multiplication when you have the parentheses set up that way. All right, so let's go ahead and get, get down to it and, and do a few of these uh, numerical expressions and show you what we're talking about here. What if you have this expression? It's a very simple um, numerical expression, 3 times 4. How do we evaluate that? Well, it's very, very simple. 3 times 4 is equal to 12. So congratulations, you've just solved your first numerical, uh, evaluated your first numerical expression. To evaluate this expression, it just means solve it or do the math. Um, numerical expression just means you have some numbers that are have some math involved in them. So let's get to a, a couple more complicated ones here. What if you had the expression, the numerical expression, 10 uh, minus, and we'll use those parentheses again, 2 um, times 4. Right, 2 times 4. So again, we have these parentheses, and I mentioned this in the last lesson. Anytime you see parentheses, it just means you have to do what is inside of these parentheses first. I'm going to repeat that over and over again because it's very, very important in algebra. So uh, when we solve this, when we evaluate this, I should say, the 10, we don't do anything with the 10 yet because he's not inside the parentheses. We have to deal with what's inside these parentheses first, and here we have multiplication inside of them. So 2 times 4 is 8, and we just leave it inside the parentheses like that. Now that we've done the inside of the parentheses, you can kind of mentally remove them because we've, we've done the math. Now you have 10 minus 8, and you all know that 10 minus 8 is 2. So that's the answer, and this was the answer up here. 3 times 4 is 12. So we got the answer of 2 there. Um, what if we had the uh, numerical expression 20 uh, times 1 
half. This is a numerical expression, 20 times 1 half, just numbers. Remember, a fraction is just a number, just like any other number. It's just uh, less than a whole number. Um, so there's no parentheses here. We just literally do the multiplication. You take 20, you multiply by a half. What do you think you're going to get? Well, you're just going to get the number 10. That's the answer. We've evaluated that numerical expression. What if you have the numerical expression, let's open some parentheses now, 20 um, times 1 half, we'll close the parentheses off, plus 6. How do we evaluate this numerical expression? Well, we have to do what's inside of these parentheses first, and we already know that 20 times a half is 10, so that's, that's, that's easy enough. So we open these parentheses back up, and we put a 10 inside. We have to do what's inside first. The plus 6 just stays along for the ride. We don't even do anything with it yet. But now, for the next step, we, we've already done what's inside of the parentheses, so we just do 10. We kind of drop mentally drop the parentheses. 10 plus 6, you all know, is uh, 16. And that's going to be the final answer there. And this will be our last problem here. What if we have 9 plus, and we'll open a parentheses 5 plus, or five times, 4. Uh, again, we have to do what's inside the parentheses first, so the 9 just comes along for the ride. We open the parentheses 5 times the 4. Inside the parentheses is going to be 20. And now that we've done that, we can mentally drop the parentheses and just say 9 plus 20 is 29. And that is the final answer. Just getting some practice evaluating these numerical expressions, especially when you have some parentheses involved. The main thing to remember is just do what's inside the parentheses first. And we'll do a lot more uh, with that here in the next lesson. We'll get some additional practice with evaluating numerical expressions. Welcome back to Algebra 1. We're going to continue evaluating uh, numerical expressions, just getting some additional practice. What if we had the expression 8 minus 3 uh, plus 3? Uh, what would that expression evaluate to? How do we do that? Well, first we have to do what's inside these parentheses first. We always do what's inside the parentheses first. You'll hear me talk about that so many times you'll probably get sick of me. Inside the parentheses, 8 minus 3 is 5. So we'll keep that inside the parentheses. We'll say that that's 5. And then we have the plus 3 on the outside. Now that you've done the math inside the parentheses, you can mentally drop the parentheses. And now you just say 5 plus 3 is 8. And that's the answer. All right, so we'll just do several of these just to give you some practice. What if you have the expression 5 times, and we'll open up parentheses, 11 plus 1. What do you think you do first? I've said it about 25 times. You just do what's inside of these parentheses first. So the 5 on the outside, just you leave them alone. And inside the parentheses, 11 plus 1 is 12. And now that you've done that, you can mentally drop the parentheses. 12, or I should say 5 times 12, is going to be equal to 60. And that's going to be the final answer to evaluate that numerical expression. Now, what if we have uh, 6 plus 12... And we'll take that and we'll divide by 3. What do we do first? Again, we do what's inside of these parentheses. So 6 plus 12 is going to be 18. And then we still have to divide by the 3 that comes along for the ride. So now you can drop the parentheses mentally. 18 divided by 3 is 6. And there you go. Uh, what if we have uh, 29? 29 minus 0 times 9 inside these parentheses. So again, we do what's inside the parentheses first. The 29 comes along for the ride. Minus 0 times 9 is just going to give you... Welcome back to Algebra 1. Here we're going to learn how to evaluate algebraic expressions. So by now you should know 
that when you evaluate something in algebra, it just means you simplify it or you solve it or you perform the math associated with it. And the term expression, it basically just means uh, doing math operations. Okay? And since you have the word algebraic here, it means we're going to be doing math operations involving variables. So basically it means variables and numbers um, with math operations. So in other words, we're going to have uh, we're going to have addition, subtraction, multiplication. Of course, we don't use x for multiply in algebra, but I'm writing it here just to show you what it is. Uh, and we don't even use that division symbol too much in algebra either. Now, keep in mind when we get into more complicated expressions later, we'll have squares. You know, we'll talk about exponents and squares and square roots and all kinds of other things. But for now, this is what we mean when we say algebraic expressions. So what would be an example of a super, super simple algebraic expression? First of all, I'm going to take this opportunity to show you we don't use the letter x for multiplying in general in algebra. I've mentioned this so many times. You know, you're, you've heard it so many times already. So for instance, if we wanted to multiply the number 4 times the variable a, we just write it as 4a. Okay? Uh, 4a. We don't put the letter x in there because if we did, it would look like 4 times x times a. So this means 4 times a, which is exactly the same thing as writing 4 times a like this. This is totally fine to do as well, which is exactly the same thing as writing 4 with a parentheses a here. Notice there's no uh, dot here or anything. The 4 is sitting right outside the parentheses with a on the inside. This means 4 times a. Um, and if you really want to go crazy, you could put the 4 inside of parentheses and put the A right there. Notice there's no um, multiplication symbol here either. When you write things next to each other, right next to each other like this in algebra, it means multiplication. So you'll see this quite often. You'll see this sometimes. Um, but this here is most common when you have a letter and a number. Uh, you'll just put them right next to each other like that. So that's the idea of what, uh, in general, what an algebraic expression is. Now, when you evaluate an algebraic expression, what does that mean? It means typically what you're going to do is you're going to put a value in here for A and then calculate the answer. That means evaluate it, okay, to calculate it. That's what it means in algebra. So let's go on and do that. Uh, let's evaluate the following. Um, expressions if x is equal to 2, y is equal to 3, and z is equal to 4. So we, we're given the value of three variables. x is equal to 2, y is equal to 3, z is equal to 4. And what we're going to do is we're going to evaluate the following expressions. Very simple expression first, 5x, which means 5 times x. How are we going to evaluate that expression? Um, well, we know that x is equal to 2. It's written right here. So all we do is take that 2 and stick it right in there and, and then calculate it, which means evaluate it. So here, here we'll have 5 times 2. Notice that when I put the number in there, I'm sticking the dot here. I'm putting that dot here when I stick the numbers in there because if I just didn't write the dot, it would be 5 next to a 2. It would look like 52. Here it's clear I'm multiplying, but when you're writing numbers that are multiplied, you, you need to put that dot there. So 5 times 2 is just going to be equal to 10. Very simple. Right? What if we're going to do uh, or evaluate the following expression? Change colors a little bit. Uh, what if we want to evaluate the following expression? Um, x 
times y. Notice that we know that they're multiplied together because they're just written right next to each other with no symbol in between them. So we know they're multiplied together. How do we evaluate this expression? Well, we know that x is equal to 2, so we'll put it in there for that. We know it's multiplied, and y is equal to 3. It's written right here. y is equal to 3. Um, and so the 3 goes here. And then you can evaluate it. 2 times 3, you all know, is equal to 6. And that's the final answer of that guy. All right, let's go ahead and do another one. We'll do a couple of additional uh, guys here. What if we have the following algebraic expression? 4x in parentheses plus 7. Now, what, is the, what do the parentheses mean again? The parentheses just mean you have to do what's inside of there first. It's forcing you to do that first. We'll talk a lot more about why that works out later and why that's important, but for now, just know that you do that first. So you open these parentheses here, and you have the number 4 times x, but we already know that x is equal to 2 from right there, so we stick the 2 in there. We close the parentheses. The plus 7, we haven't touched it because we can't do that yet. All right? Now, inside these parentheses, 4 times 2 is 8, and then we have the plus 7 on the outside, and now that we've done the math, we can mentally drop this parenthesis just like we were doing in the last section. Uh, 8 plus 7, uh, you all know, is going to be 15. So that's the final answer. That's, if, that's the evaluation of this expression, this algebraic expression. And we'll do one more here just to get some practice. What if we have 2x uh, inside of parentheses plus 2z, like this? Well, we have to do what's inside the parentheses first. That means we have to do this, and we have to do this before we ever do anything with this addition out here. So we open the parentheses up 2 times x, but x is equal to 2. Right, x is equal to 2. And then over here, we're going to have, uh, inside of here, we'll have 2 times z. And we already know that z is equal to 4, so we're just going to stick that in there. Z, equal, z is equal to 4. And now we have to do what's inside of these parentheses first. So we open up the first set of parentheses. 2 times 2 is 4. The plus, we just leave it there. We open the next set of parentheses, 4 times 2, or 2 times 4 is 8. Now that we've done the inside of the parentheses first, we finally can do this addition. We can mentally uh, just disregard these parentheses. 4 plus 8, as you all know, is going to be equal to 12. And that's the answer. So you see, when you evaluate these algebraic expressions, all you're doing is you're taking the value of the variable that you have, and you're substituting it in to every place you see where it's at. And then, after you substitute it in, you just calculate the answer in exactly the way we did it in the last section when we were evaluating these numerical expressions. So you see there's, there's just one extra step. You take the value of the variables, you stick them in, and then after that, you just calculate things just as, as we have been doing. So follow me on to the next section. We'll get a little bit more practice with evaluating these algebraic expressions to give you more confidence in your skills. Algebra 1, we're going to continue uh, evaluating these algebraic expressions. Now, uh, much like we did for the last section, we're going to say that the variable x in these problems that follow is equal to 2, uh, y is equal to 3, and z is equal to 4. And we want to evaluate the algebraic expressions that follow. So we'll kind of put this off to the side, and we're going to use that, use these facts in all of the uh, questions that follow. This is given to you the value of these variables. Now what if you have the expression 8 times parentheses y plus z? 
and we're told evaluate this algebraic expression. Well, all you do is you stick the value of y right here, you stick the value of z right here, and then after that you just calculate it as we have been doing the whole time. So the 8 on the outside, you can't do anything with him because you always do what's inside the parentheses first. The y is going to be 3 plus the z is going to be 4. And so now you have to, at this point, do what's inside of these parentheses first. So again, the 8 will stay there, multiplied by, and then you will have 3 plus 4 is 7. Okay, and then 8 plus, or 8 times 7, 8 times 7, uh, because now you can mentally drop these parentheses since you've done what's inside of them. Now you have a multiplication on the outside. Uh, 8 times 7 is 56. And that's going to be the final answer there. All right, so let's go off and do the next guy here, the next uh, expression that we have. What if we have 1 half multiplied by z minus x? Same sort of thing. We just take z and we stick it in here. We take x, we stick it in there, and then we evaluate and see where we end up. So what we have is 1 half multiplied by, inside here, z is equal to 4. Hello, welcome back to Algebra 1. Here we're going to talk about some very, very important topics in algebra. The first one we're going to be talking about is parentheses. We'll be doing a lot more with that in this lesson. And very importantly, we'll be talking about this thing called the order of operations. Um, basically, we've talked about this before. Parentheses, you set around uh, things that you need to do in your problems, and it forces you to do that part of the problem first. An order of operations is a complete list of the order in which you tackle the math operations in your problem. So it literally tells you step by step what to do first, what to do second, and so on. So we're going to take our time to really write this down and make sure you understand. So what we're talking about is the order of operations. And by the way, we're just kind of introducing it here. We're going to be talking about the order of operations all throughout algebra, so it's something that we're going to hit over and over and over again. Basically, when you have a math problem or an algebra problem, a lot of times you will have multiplication in that problem. You'll have division, you'll have addition, you'll have parentheses. So the very first thing you do when you look at a problem, the very first thing you always do is you do the parentheses first. You do what's inside the parentheses first. So I'm going to write that down, and I've kind of mentioned that to you over and over uh, again. We're going to do the parentheses first, but we're going to do them, sometimes you have uh, multiple sets of parentheses. So you do the inner parentheses first, and you work your way to the outer parentheses. Innermost parentheses to outermost parentheses. After you do the parentheses, you always look and see, and the next highest priority is multiplication and division. Multiply and divide. And when you do multiplication and division, in general, you're going to do it left to right. In other words, if you have a bunch of things multiplied in a string, like in a line, you'll just read it like a book. You multiply left to right. Same thing with division. All right. And after you've done parentheses and you've done the multiplication and division, the third priority, the lowest priority, really, is addition and subtraction. So add and subtract. And again, you're going to do it left to right, just like we do the multiplication and division, left to right. 
So this is all I'm going to teach you right now for order of operations. As we get farther in algebra, we'll add stuff to this list. We'll talk about exponents and square roots and other things that we will do. But right now, all you have to do is when you look at your problem, if you have any parentheses, you do them first, and you do them inner to outer, and I'll explain that as we do a problem or two. And then you look for multiplication and division, and you do that left to right. And then you look for addition and subtraction, and you do that left to right. You must follow this order for every single problem. So I'm not going to tell you that from now on. As we get practice with it, you'll just do it uh, as, we, as we solve our problems. So it's a good time here to actually start to solve a problem. Um, what if we have uh, the problem, very simple problem, 8 plus 3 times 4. Now let me ask you, how do you do this? A lot of students will take the 8 and they'll add it to the 3, uh, right? That'll give you 11, 9, 10, 11, and then multiply by 4. But that's wrong because you have to follow the order of operations. First we look for parentheses. We don't have any parentheses, so we ignore that. Then we look for multiplication and division. We have multiplication right here, and you must do that before any addition or subtraction. So the way you really do this is you leave the 8 alone, you leave the addition alone. You don't do that now, but 3 times 4 is 12, so you do that multiplication first. Now you look and say, well, I don't have any more multiplication or division. So now I look for addition or subtraction. And of course I see this uh, guy right here. And so 8 plus 12 is going to give me 20. And that's the final answer. Notice if you do it in the other order, uh, you're not going to get the right answer. And let's go ahead and illustrate that right now. Let's say the problem, instead of what we had here, was actually parentheses 8 plus 3 times 4. Right? What would we do differently here? See, here, in this case, we have a set of parentheses right here. So the order of operations says we must do that first. So the 8 plus 3 will open the parentheses up. 8 plus 3 gives you 11. Okay, And then we still have multiplied by 4 here. Notice we don't have any multiplication symbol here, but you know in algebra when things are written next to each other, it means multiplied, right? And then we look through our list. We don't have any parentheses. We have this multiplication, so we have to do that next. 11 times 4 is 44. So you see, these are the same numbers. 8 plus 3 times 4, 8 plus 3 times 4. It's just here we had to do the multiplication first. We got this answer. Here, because of the parentheses, and only because of the parentheses, we did the addition first. And so we got a totally different answer. So you see, even though we had addition going on here, and usually addition is last, because it was inside the parentheses, that forces it to be the top priority. All right, so let's go ahead and do another one. We'll, we'll get the hang of it as we work more problems here. What about 6 minus 3 divided by 3? How would we handle this in terms of order of operations? Well, first we look for parentheses. We don't see any parentheses. Next we look for multiplication or division. And I do see that I have a division here. So the 6 stays along for the ride with the minus sign. 3 divided by 3 is just 1. So I write that right there. Now the only thing I have left is that subtraction, which gives me 5, which is last priority. And that's the answer. Now, again, let's change colors here and see what would happen if we solve these exact same numbers with some parentheses to force it to behave differently. So 6 divided by 3 inside the parentheses, or 6 minus 3 in the parentheses, divided by 3. What are we going to have? Well, now, order of operations says we do the parentheses first, even if it's subtraction, the lowest thing, but it's inside the parentheses, so we have to do it first. So we have 6 minus 3 is 3. And then the divide by 3 just stays along for the ride. Now, we can kind of mentally drop this parentheses here. I'm writing them here just because I want you to know where it came from. But once you've done the math inside, you can kind of mentally drop it. So really you have 3 divided by 3 
And of course that's going to give you 1, and that's the final answer to this guy. All right. Now what if we, um, let's go over here to the right-hand side, and do, what if we have 5 plus 10 divided by 5? What's that going to be equal to? Well, again, I'm looking for parentheses first. I do not have any. I look for multiplication and division. Here's some addition. Here's some division. Division is going to come first. So the 5 plus is going to stay along for the ride. 10 divided by 5 is 2. And now that I've done that, the only thing I have left is the addition, so it's 7. And that's the final answer on that. I'll change colors, and let's just regroup it. 5 plus 10 divided by 5. How do we handle this? Now that we have this set of parentheses, I must do what's inside of here first. And so 5 plus 10 is 15 divided by 5. I can mentally drop this set of parentheses now that I've done the math inside. 15 divided by 5 is 3, and that's the final answer. So I tried to choose some problems here to show you. Even with the same numbers and the same operations, if you force uh, force it to, to behave out of order, you're going to get different answers. So that's sort of trying to teach you that order of operations is extremely important. First do parentheses, then, then do multiplication and division, then do addition and subtraction. So work these yourself. Follow me on to the next lesson. We're going to get some more practice with order of operations in algebra. Welcome back to Algebra 1. We're going to continue working with parentheses and order of operations. Here we're going to work some additional problems where it's going to resemble algebra just a little bit more. Let's let the variable t is equal to 6. Let's let the variable x equal to 3. Let's let the variable y is equal to 4. And let's let the variable z equal to 5. Notice that when I write my z's here, I put a little line through it. That's just because if you start writing z over and over and over again really fast, it starts to look like the number 2. So I just put a little line through there. So that's the number z. All right, so we have given these variables to you. It's part of the problem statement. And now what we want to do is uh, simplify some of these expressions. And what we're going to do is use our order of operations uh, that we've learned in the last section, 2x plus 7. Now, I did not write the order of operations down again on this piece of paper, and that's because you, you have to memorize them. So right now you only have three rules. First, parentheses, inner to outer. Second, multiplication, division, left to right. Third, addition, subtraction, left to right. So here, we don't have any parentheses at all. So let's go ahead and substitute uh, the value of x that we have. 2 times 3 plus 7. So all we've done is substitute the value of this variable into where it goes. And now we look for parentheses. We don't see any, but I do see multiplication. That always comes first. So 2 times 3 is 6 plus 7. And now the only thing left is that, which is 13. I should say, let me erase that and say that's going to be equal to 13. All right, let's go on to the next problem. Let's say we have two parentheses x plus 7. Notice the same letters and same numbers in place, but now I've just added a set of parentheses. So the first step is to substitute in the value of x, which is 3. And now we look for parentheses. And of course, the first thing we do is parentheses, and I do have parentheses. Now inside of this parentheses is addition, which usually comes... Welcome back to Algebra 1. We'll continue solving some problems with parentheses in order of operations. So we're going to use the same variables. t is equal to 6. x is equal to 3. y is equal to 4. And z is equal to 5. And we'll use that for the remainder of the problems. And we'll get a little bit more complicated, but basically we'll be using the same rules over and over again. So what if we had the problem 5 times 3 
y minus 4x. And those, that was inside parentheses. So first we'll just substitute in 3 times y, uh, where y is given as 4. So that would be 4. Uh, and then we'll have um, minus 4 times x, which is given by 3. Now, the first thing we do is we look for, for parentheses, and we see we have a set of parentheses. Now, inside this parentheses, we have multiplication, which is a higher priority than the subtraction, so that's how we're going to handle it. It'll be 5 times. 3 times 4 is 12. The minus will come much later, and then 4 times 3 is also 12. Now, notice what we have here inside the parentheses. 12 minus 12 is 0, and I can mentally drop this parentheses now that I've done it. 5 times 0 is 0, so all of that work just to give us an answer of 0. All right, the next problem is going to be x times y times z minus 4z. How do we handle that? So we just plug things in. x is 3, y is 4, z is 5, minus 4 times z, which is 5. So again, I look for parentheses. I don't have any. I have multiplication happening here and here, and I have subtraction there. I know that multiplication always happens before uh, the subtraction, and I know that when I multiply, when I have more than one thing multiplied, I just go left to right. So 3 times 4 is 12. Hello, welcome back to Algebra. We're going to continue learning how to deal with this thing called order of operations. And so before we talked about parentheses and we focused on that a lot, now I want to talk a little bit about fraction bars. Um, it's easier just to show you with an example rather than just talk about it. So let's say, what if you had the problem 6 plus 5 times 3, and you, you drew a big fraction bar under it, and you had 6 plus 1 on the bottom? Truthfully, the stuff I'm going to tell you right now in the next one or two minutes is something I wish someone would have told me in algebra a long time ago because it would have saved me a lot of, a lot of headaches. The bottom line is, when you have a really big fraction like this with a bunch of stuff going on, like addition or multiplication on the top, and then some more junk going on at the bottom, basically the fraction bar behaves as a, as a grouping mechanism. Just like parentheses can group things together, the fraction bar kind of groups things together too. The bottom line is you can kind of treat the numerator of this fraction as having kind of an invisible set of parentheses around this entire, uh, all of these terms at the top, and you can envision an invisible set of parentheses surrounding the bottom. So just to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about, you, you shouldn't write this on your paper, but basically when you have a fraction, the numerator has an invisible parentheses kind of around everything in the top. That's why I'm drawing dotted lines. An invisible set of parentheses surrounding everything on the bottom. And so when you think of it that way, then that's very powerful because basically it means, now that you kind of envision it as invisible parentheses like this, it basically means that you follow the same order of operations as you always have. It's just you have to do the top and the bottom separately. Okay, So if you have an invisible set of parentheses surrounding all this stuff, how would you handle it? Well, you have addition and you have multiplication. Multiplication comes first. So on the top, you would have 6 plus 5 times 3 is 15. Right? Now on the bottom, separately, this is totally separate from what's going on the top. You have this set of parentheses. You can just do what's inside of it, which is 6 plus 1, giving you 7. Okay. Now again, you still kind of have your invisible set of parentheses around what's going on up here. So just for this problem, I will continue to kind of draw that for you as a mental aid, but I'm not going to do that every time. The 6 plus 15, that's the only operation left. So 6 plus 15 um, is going to give you 21. And then you have 7 on the bottom. 
And so finally, you know, fractions are the same thing as division. So 21 divided by 7 is just the number 3, and that's how you would handle this. So this is really important for you to internalize because a lot of students, when they see something like this, they'll try to do crazy things, like they'll do 6 divided by 6, or maybe they'll add the 6 and 1 and get 7, and then they'll take the 6 and divide by 7. They're not sure if you should do the division from the fraction first, or if you should do this multiplication first, or whatever. And so I'm telling you now that this fraction bar behaves as a as a grouping function. It groups these terms together as kind of like a whole unit. You can think of a big chain around this stuff. This is all behaving together, and so, so is the same thing with this one, behaving together. So we simplify the top separately, and then we simplify the bottom separately. And at the very end, then we deal with the fraction bar. That's, that's kind of how you should handle all of these problems. And so we'll just do a couple of them to give you uh, familiarity with that. What if you had 3 times 12 minus 8 in parentheses, and then you had a fraction bar 2 times 5 minus 4? Now, I'm not going to draw these invisible dotted parentheses because I don't think you need to. But you need to in imagine this entire thing as its own little problem linked together. And imagine this little thing as its own little problem linked together. Do them separately, and at the very end, deal with the fraction. That's how you should handle the, the fraction, uh, the big problems involving fractions like this. So on the top, you have some multiplication, but you also have parentheses, which always come first. So that 3 stays there. 12 minus 8 uh, is going to give you 4 on the top. Now you can go and start working on the bottom. What do you have here? This is a totally separate problem. You have multiplication and subtraction. Multiplication comes first. 2 times 5 is 10 minus 4. Now we can continue working our next step. On the top, we just have only one thing to do, 3 times 4, which is going to give us 12. On the bottom, we only have one thing to do. 10 minus 4 gives us 6. Now that we have completely taken care of the top and completely taken care of the bottom, now we can go ahead and do this. 12 divided by 6 is going to give you 2. That is the final answer to the problem. All right, we'll do one more uh, like this, and we'll get some more practice as we go along. 8 times 5 plus 2 times 7, big fraction bar, 2 parentheses 7 minus 4. Again, you treat the top as its own thing with an invisible set of parentheses surrounding everything. So on the top, we have multiplication and addition, so the multiplication will come first. 8 times 5 is 40. The plus just hangs around. 2 times 7 is 14. On the bottom of the fraction, we have parentheses, so that happens first. 7 minus 4 is 3. Now we go to the next step. What is 40 plus 14? That's the only thing there's left to do in the top. We have to take care of that first. We get 54. And on the bottom, 2 times 3 is 6. Then finally, you have a fraction. 54 divided by 6, you can do that evenly, is going to give you 9. That's the final answer. We're going to get a little more practice in the next section. Um, Continuing on this theme, the main thing I wanted you to understand is that a fraction bar forces the top to be grouped together, almost as if there are invisible parentheses around it, and the same with the bottom. Simplify the top, simplify the bottom, and then take care of any fraction, division, or anything like that dead last. Follow me on to the next section. We'll continue to get some more practice. All right, welcome back to learning how to deal with order of operations with a fraction bar. So again, we'll have uh, some variables we'll define for the next couple of problems. t is equal to 6, um, x is equal to 3, y is equal to 4, z is equal to 5. And then we're going to solve the following problem. What if we had 9x plus z, fraction bar, x plus z. 
How do we handle that? Well, again, the top of this guy is, is its own unit, and the bottom is also its own unit. So let's substitute in the, value, the values we have. 9 times x, which is 3, plus z, which is 5. And then on the bottom, x, which is 3, plus z, which is 5. So now it just reduces to the same old problems that we've been doing before. This is a unit. We must take care of it uh, separately. Multiplication always happens before addition. So we have 9 times 3 is 27 plus 5 on the top. And on the bottom, all we have is addition. So 3 plus 5 is 8. Now on the top, we all we have is that addition left. So 27 plus, um, 27 plus 5 is going to be uh, 32 on the top divided by 8. And when you do this division, 32 divided by 8 is simply 4. So that's the final answer. So these problems are not any harder. I'm just... You know, the only other step is we have to substitute in for the variables into their proper locations. So let's go ahead and do the last problem here to give you some practice with this. 10 times t minus z over 10 parentheses t minus z. So let's substitute in. On the top we have 10 times t, which is 6, minus z. And on the bottom we will have 10 parentheses t, which is 6, minus z, which is 5. All right, so how do we handle it? On the top, it's its own thing. On the top, we have multiplication happening with subtraction, so we do the multiplication first. Hello, welcome back to Algebra 1. We're going to finally start to talk about the topic of equations in algebra. We'll be talking about equations for basically the entire course. This is just an introduction, but it's really important material. Um, I think will make your life so much easier. Uh, as we go on, if I just get a good introduction for you. So here we have the idea of an equation. And I know that you have all heard this. I know that you, some of you are scared of the idea of an equation. Trust me, it's not going to be a big deal. Um, an equation is something in algebra um, that has an equal sign. If you look at the word equation, it means equals. Equals is the first part of the word. So it's basically some math operations many times with a, a variable involved, that has an equal sign. That's all it means. Equation means it has an equal sign. So pretty simple so far. So to give you some quick examples of that, um, 2 plus 1 equals 3. You all know this, right? Well, this is an equation. It just it means it's something on the left is equal to something on the right. 2 plus 1 is exactly the same thing as 3 of something. I know this is super trivial, Super easy for you to understand, but that's the basic idea. Another example would be 3 plus x um, is equal to 4. Now, this is also an equation, but the only difference is we have uh, an unknown quantity here, an unknown variable, right? But there is an equal sign, and that's what makes it an equation. Now, this is a really easy equation to solve. What is the only value of x that's going to work here? x equals 1, because 3 plus 1 is 4. So many times you can look at these simple equations and figure out what value of x is going to work, but as you get into algebra deeper, you're, you're not going to be able to look at them and just quickly get the answer. You'll have to learn to solve the equations, and we'll get to that uh, a lot later. Okay, so what we have next is, I've just introduced the idea of what an equation is. Next thing I want to do is talk to you about the domain of a variable. And in simplest terms, the domain of a variable is the set of numbers um, that the variable can represent. VAR, I'm calling variable, that the variable can represent. 
right? Now, many, many, many times we have an equation like, um, you know, x plus 2 is equal to 3 or something, just anything. And we say x can be any number that we want it to be. We just have to figure out which one satisfies the equation. But the domain of a variable is really when you lock it down and you say, okay, these are the numbers that the variable are, is allowed to take on, right? And so it's not so important right now, but when we get into more complicated functions and, and, and equations, you'll see that the domain of the variable actually matters. So here I'm going to blow your mind with some, some math stuff here that's going to look a little scary at first, but it's not going to be hard. Let me write something down like this. X, with this weird little symbol, looks kind of like an E. All right? Um, and then I'm going to open curly braces. 0, 1, 2, 3. And I'm going to close the curly braces off. Okay, you'll see this in your book. It scares a lot of students. All it means is that the variable x can represent only these four values, 0, 1, 2, or 3. This is the domain of x. It means, think about when you're, you know, when you're a king or something in a castle. Your domain is your kingdom. That is what you rule. That is what you're in charge of. You, know, you come into my domain, you have to answer to me. I'm the king, right? So the domain of a variable is all the values that it's able to represent. It's its kingdom, right? So in this case, I'm specifying it with these curly braces, which are special symbols. And that just means the numbers inside are the only numbers that x can be. Okay, so we call that the domain, right? In fact, this symbol, this symbol here, this weird-looking thing, this means belongs to. X can belong to. And this uh, symbol here, these, this curly brace, this means a set of numbers. All right, so the curly braces mean the set of numbers 0, 1, 2, and 3, and this fancy E means belongs to. So it just means X can behave and, and belong and take on those values. So another example might be, a uh, different variable, let's say. Let's say the variable A, uh, and we'll put this guy, belongs to the set of numbers, or the domain, 2, comma, 3, comma, 7, comma, 9. If you see something like this, then this means the variable A can only take on the value 2, the value 3, the value 7, the value 9, because it belongs to these set of numbers and only this set of numbers. Okay, That's what it is. And when you, when you lock down the variable like that to belong to a set like this, that set is called the domain of a variable. Now, these variables I've written down that it has a certain domain, but if you don't specify or you don't, you don't have any information about the domain, then you can assume the domain to be all numbers. But in, in these problems, we're starting to introduce the math lingo, and so the domain of the number is something that you need to understand. Okay? So let's go ahead and scroll up a little bit and solve a problem. Uh, it's going to be a pretty simple problem, but basically we're going to solve a simple equation. We're going to solve this equation um, if x belongs to the set of numbers, or its domain, is 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. So that means x can only take on those values. That is the domain of x. I'll write that down, domain. So if you ever see something on a test, hey, the domain of a variable is 0, 1, and 2. That just means, hey, it can only take those values. That's all it means. Now, the equation that we're actually going to solve is going to be x plus 5 is equal to 9. How do we solve it? Okay, What is the value of x that works? Now, I know that you can all look at this and you can figure out what goes in the spot, but how do we solve it when x is a value, can only take on these values? How do you show your work? in a math class. That's what we're going to focus on here. So the way I suggest doing it is making a table. You're going to have values of x, 
and then you're going to have the equation x plus 5 is equal to 9. Right? And so you can make a little table here. Now x is given as only having those values 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. It can't be 6. It can't be negative 2. We'll talk about negative numbers later. It can't be 17. x literally only can take these values because I've told you this. If I didn't tell you that x can only contain these values, then you would just assume that x could be any number. But now I'm locking it down for you. So we just create a little table and we start substituting stuff in. What if we put the number 0 in for x? x can be 0, right? So 0 plus 5. I'm going to put equal with a question mark 9. And you have to answer, ask yourself, is 0 plus 5 equal 9? Well, uh, 0 plus 5 would be 5. Uh, equal question mark 9? No. So that value of x does not work. It doesn't satisfy this equation. What if we put the number 1 in? 1 plus 5 equals question mark 9. Well, 1 plus 5 is 6. Equal question mark 9. No. I think you see where we're going with this, so I'm just going to kind of cruise down here. 2 plus 5 equal question mark 9. 7 equal question mark 9. No. 3 plus 5 equals question mark 9. 8 equals question mark 9. No. And finally, 4 plus 5 equals question mark 9. What do you think is going to happen here? 9 is equal question mark 9. Well, yes, it actually does work that time. So it looks like that value can work. And then 5 plus 5 equals question mark 9. 10 equals question mark 9. No. So it looks like what we did is we took every possible value of x in its domain, in other words, every possible value of x that it could represent, and we calculated what would happen if we put it in there, and we were looking to see if it's equal to 9, because that's what the equation is. So no, 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 yes, no. So the only value of x that works is x is equal to 4. So you can write that as x is equal to 4. That's how I would typically write it. But since we're talking about domains, another way you can write it is you can say x is equal to the set of numbers only containing the number 4. You can write it either way. Right? This is more of the mathematical way to write it, but in practice you just pretty much say x is equal to 4. This is just saying, hey, the set of numbers the only, there's only one in there called the number 4. That's what x can be equal to. That's the only value of x that works in this equation. And, of course, this equation was so simple, you can look at it and tell that just by looking at it. So follow me on to the next lesson. We'll get some additional um, practice with it, and we'll get to, to some more complicated equations. And right now we're just introducing the basic idea. I promise you we will solve equations eventually that you will not be able to look at and just solve them. That's why we're building this foundational stuff right now so that you know what you're doing. When you get to the more complicated problems, it will not be hard for you. So follow me on to the next lesson now. All right, welcome back. We're going to continue solving these very simple equations when we have x locked down to be a certain domain. So in this case, we're going to do the same thing. We'll say that x is uh, defined, his domain is defined to be the same thing as it was, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And so we're going to solve the following equation. 2 times x is equal to 8. Now I think you already know what the answer is here, but my job is to really show you how you would do this on your test. And the way you would do it is you would create a table, at least in the beginning here. You're not going to have to do this after you're an expert in algebra, um, but uh, you, you do need to do it in the beginning. So x can only take on the value 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And so what we need to do is figure out when does it satisfy here. So if we plug in the value of x here, 
into this value, what's going to, into this variable, what's going to happen? 2 times 0 is equal to 8. Okay, is that right? Well, on the left, that will give us 0 is equal to 8, so that's no. Um, what if we do 2 times 1 is equal to 8? Well, that's 2 is equal to 8, that's no. 2 times 2 is equal to 8. 2 times 2 is 4 on the left is equal to 8, that's no. Uh, well, we have 2 times 3 is equal to 8. On the left, that would be 6 is equal, whoops, that's not quite right. That's going to be 8 on the right. So 6 is equal to 8. That's not right. Nope. Uh, what about 4? 2 times 4, does that equal 8? Of course that does, so that's yes. And then 2 times 5 is equal to 8. Of course that's not right. No. So what we say for this problem is that, um, what we say is that x is equal to the value of 4. This is the only value of x that actually works and satisfies and makes the equation true. Another way to write it is, you might see in your book, x is just a set of numbers. It only contains one number, one solution. x is equal to Okay, welcome back to Algebra 1. People fighting, the only way to stop that. Break down the walls, let it fall. Don't hold back at all. We gotta break down the walls. Don't wait too long. We've gotta free your soul. We gotta break down the walls. Ring. Ring, ring. Now that you know how to multiply fractions together, dividing by fractions is actually really easy to do. So for instance, if you have the fraction 3 fourths and you'd like to divide by 1 half, how would you go about doing that? Well, it turns out that every time you divide fractions, you just change it and turn it into multiplication. And you already know how to multiply fractions, so it becomes very easy. All you do is you take the first fraction that you have and write it again, 3 fourths, and this division sign here gets changed into multiplication, so put a dot there. And then the second fraction, the one that you're dividing by, you need to flip it upside down. And, and that's another way of saying you take the reciprocal of that fraction. We'll talk a little bit more about reciprocals later, but the, the 1 half becomes 2 over 1. So do you see all I've done is I've taken the division symbol, I've replaced it with multiplication, I've taken the second fraction, the one you're dividing by, and I flip it upside down. And then all of a sudden, your division problem just simply becomes a multiplication problem. And we've done lots and lots of those. So in order to do this multiplication problem, 3 times 2 on the top becomes 6. And on the bottom, you have 4 times 1, which is 4. And you ask yourself, can I simplify this fraction any further? Well, it's an improper fraction, so let's go ahead and convert it to a mixed number. 6 divided by 4 can only go one time with a remainder of 2, because 6 minus 4 is 2, and then the bottom number, the uh, denominator, just comes along for the ride and hangs, hangs out like that. And then I say, is this fully simplified? Um, it's pretty close. The 2 fourths can be divided top and bottom by 2 over 2, and that'll make it a little bit simpler. So you have 1 and 2 divided by 2 is 1, 4 divided by 2 is 2. So the answer is 1 and a half. Now truthfully, this 6 fourths way back here, that, that's also a valid answer. I mean, that's the answer to this division problem. Hello, welcome to Algebra 1. We've 
covered a tremendous amount of material so far. We've covered how to simplify fractions, how to work with fractions, some basic ideas of variables and equations. Now we need to dive into a little bit of theory before we can make a little more progress. So through your book you will see definitions like this one we'll talk about in a second. Um, I'm going to go over them. You won't use them to solve most of your problems, but they are necessary for you to understand what's going on. So you understand, you know, uh, um, the, the, the core fundamental theories behind algebra, right? And none of them are hard. I can make them all very simple. Um, I do need to caution you that some of these things we're going to talk about are going to seem really obvious. But in math, you know, you have to start somewhere. So we start with the things that are obvious and we progress from there. So the first thing we need to talk about is this idea of a real number. A real number. Um, basically, I've written it right here. Any number on the number line, number line, I'll draw a picture in a second for you here, but basically it's the, it, the numbers that go positive off to the right and then also go negative off to the left. Any number on the number line, positive, negative, and zero. Right? So basically it's any number you can possibly think of, except imaginary numbers. And we haven't talked at all about imaginary numbers, but you need to kind of be aware that the reason they, they're called real numbers is because these are the real numbers, the tangible numbers that you can touch. But you also have this thing called imaginary numbers that we're going to talk about a lot farther along in algebra. And those are very useful also. Just because they're imaginary, don't let that fool you. They're extremely useful in algebra, but they're not the types of numbers that you'll put on the number line, like I'm talking about, that go off to positive infinity and then off to negative infinity. So in any case, real numbers are basically any number you could possibly dream up that's not imaginary. It doesn't have an I in there. The, the imaginary numbers have the letter I associated with them. We'll talk about those much long, farther in the future. Um, anyway, examples of real numbers would be numbers that you're dealing with all the time. The number one, the number two, things like that. But also negative numbers like negative four, negative 3.7 negative 2.9999, the number pi, the famous number pi that I know you've heard about from geometry, 3.14, and there's a bunch of decimals after it, that is a uh, real number. So any number that you can possibly think of, positive number, negative number, we're going to talk a lot more about negative numbers here in a little bit, so don't stress out if you don't know what a negative number is. Um, and also the number zero, that's a, a real number also. Any number you can dream up is called real. Okay, the only time it's not a real number is when there's an imaginary I in there, involved in there. And I know you don't know what that is yet, but just keep in mind that there's, we're going to talk about those in the future. So now that we've got this definition of what a real number is, essentially any number you could dream up, positive or negative, including decimals, fractions, things like that, we're going to talk about something in algebra called the closure property. Closure property. And this, is, this goes in the category of things that you're going to look at once I explain it to you, and you're going to say, well, that's obvious, right? And it is obvious, but it's something that you'll need to know in algebra, you know, what the name of it is. So if you have two numbers, call one of them A, and the other one we'll call B. Two numbers A and B are real numbers, which means any number that's not imaginary, any decimal, fraction, positive, negative, zero, any number you can dream up that's not imaginary, then the following thing is true, and we call it the closure property. The number A plus the number B, this is going to blow your mind, is unique and real. Okay, what this means is that if you have two numbers, A and B, like A could be 2 and B could be 3. If you add them together, the result is a unique number. Only one number is the sum of these two, and it's also a real number. So that means when you add real numbers together, you get real numbers back. So 
plus 6.97, those are two real numbers, you're going to get a real number back and only one answer works when you add these guys together. And this works for all real numbers, negative numbers, fractions, decimals, things like pi that have infinite repeating decimals. If you add them together, you're going to get a unique number that's also real. That's called the closure property. And along those lines, you have something similar. If you take that number A and you multiply it by that number B, these are multiplied together, guess what? It is also unique and real. So this is why I'm saying sometimes you look at these things and you're thinking, well, these are obvious. What I'm basically saying here is that if I take the number 1, that's a real number, and I multiply it times the number 7, that's the real number, the answer, there's only one answer, and it's also a real number. In other words, you're not going to get an imaginary number um, back. And I know we haven't talked about imaginary numbers, but I have to kind of start somewhere. That's called the closure property. And I'll just write some, some quick examples here, kind of, uh, you know, obvious things here. But if you take 3 plus 4, you're going to get 7. There's only one answer there, and it's a real number because the things you started with are real numbers. 2 times 6, there's only one answer, and it's a number 12. And this number 12 is the unique answer. The only one that, that works is an answer for 2 times 6, and it's a real number as well. All right, so now we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about another property. So that's the closure property. You may be asked on a test what the closure property is, and now you know. Uh, we're going to talk about the commutative property. Commutative property. And the reason I had to start this section with telling you what a real number is is because all of these properties are basically going to assume that if A and B are real, in other words, A and B are not imaginary numbers, then the following thing is true. And the commutative property is very simple. It says that if you take the number A, which is a real number, and you add it to B, which is also a real number, you'll get exactly the same thing as if you start with the number B and you add the number A to it. Okay? Extremely simple stuff, right? What this is basically saying here, if you want to take an example, is if I take the number 5 and I add it to the number 9, what am I going to get? I'm going to get 14, which will be exactly the same thing as if I start with the number 9 and I add the number 5 to it. I'll also get the number 14. So in other words, whether or not I take the 5 plus 9, the A plus B, or if I flip it around and change it around and do 9 plus 5, I get the same answer either way. All right? So... That is called the commutative property. The order of the addition does not matter. The order of that I add, do the addition of those numbers doesn't matter. And that's something you know from, you know, when you were two years old and you started counting, you know, rocks. You don't, it doesn't matter if you start with two plus three rocks or three plus two rocks. You always get the same answer. All right, so here is uh, the commutative property for multiplication. A times B is going to give you some answer, which will be exactly the same as B times A. And so... You know, an example here would be, for instance, 2 times 8. What does that give you? Well, that's 16, right? It's going to give you the exact same answer as 8 times 2. Commutative, it falls under the commutative property because for both of these operations, addition and division, the order of uh, addition and multiplication does doesn't matter. Okay, so if we had to summarize this lesson up, and we're, we're done basically with this lesson, um, we're going to introduce these two properties. One is the closure property. All it says is if you add two numbers together that are real numbers, you're going to get a unique answer that's also real. You won't get any imaginary numbers as an answer. 
Same thing from altercation. It, the answer is unique and real. And the commutator property in English just basically says the order of addition and multiplication as operations, they don't matter. Whether or not you take 3 plus 2 and 2 plus 3 or 16 times 4 and 4 times 16, the answers that you get are always going to be basically the same. And these are number examples, and this is the kind of thing you'll see in your book. So I'm trying to break it down and make it easy for you to understand. We have to kind of plow through some of these properties. You won't be solving problems using a lot of these things, but it helps your knowledge of what you're doing. And as we go farther in the class, we will be using these properties like commutative and things like that to understand more complicated topics. So it is important for you to understand. Follow me on to the next lesson, and we will learn about some additional properties in algebra. Hello, welcome back to algebra. Yay!
When it came to my weight, I was told to eat less and just move more. But the weight always came back. That's because there's a science to obesity.
just got a little weird.